Turn in again to Matthew chapter 18. You have this parable of the unforgiven servant. And there is a lot for us to learn from these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look here, Matthew 18 and verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. <coughs> well, Peter was fed up. <laughs> His brother, was it Andrew, had uh, caused him some anguish. And uh, it caused for a, a situation of forgiveness. I don't know, had uh, Andrew messed up the family business with the fishing, given too much away too cheaply? I don't know. We conjecture. But here was Peter. Shall I forgive my brother seven times? Would that be enough? That seems an extraordinary amount of times to forgive him. And we have this amazing answer from the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not seven times, Peter. Seventy times seven. You must go on forgiving. There's not a limit to how often you should forgive, forgive your brother. And we think to ourselves, surely not. Surely not after a few times of someone upsetting us, someone causing us difficulty and trial. Surely there comes a limit, there comes a time when we have to say, well, that's enough. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Perhaps you can even think of some situations in which you've actually felt that. I know I have. And here the Lord says we should forgive uh, in an unlimited way. Well, really what this opens up here is a question. It opens up the question, does Christianity work? Does Christianity work? Does grace work? When God comes to an unbeliever and saves them, converts them, and they're born again, does grace really work? Does it do something in the soul so that a person could forgive someone 70 times as we have here? When the crunch comes, will we prove to be the Lord's, to be born again? How can we tell? We're asking, does grace work? You know, we preachers, <laughs> we're always on about the great change that Christianity makes. That if you are born again of the Spirit of God, then everything changes in your life. And one of the great things that changes is that you have great power to overcome temptation that you then are equipped to deal with all situations in a Christian way, in a biblical way, in a loving way, in a forgiving way. Well, that's what we preachers say so often. <laughs> but is it true? Is it true that that's what Christianity does, that that's what grace does, that that is what the working of the Spirit in the heart does to individuals? that they are able to uh, be uh, so forgiving, so loving, so caring, and in a number of ways that I shall show you in just a moment. You know, there are many false professors, <laughs> the world's full of them, full of people who <laughs> say they're Christians, and clearly they're not. That is very clear. Well, the Bible tells us that is so. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us there will be many false professors of Christianity. That is the case. There are many hypocrites, many hypocrites, even those that know really that they're not believers, know that they're not Christians, and yet they pretend. They're actors. They're hypocrites. Well, that's a wretched thing. And you know, 
Nothing brought down the wrath, uh, stirred up the wrath of the Lord Jesus Christ more than hypocrites like those Pharisees. He said they would receive the greater damnation. Hypocrisy is all around us. And there are many charlatans. They're not hypocrites in the sense that they're pretending to be nice. They are pretending these things for what they can get out of it. There are many charlatans in the pulpit in these days. It's a wretched thing, a wretched thing, but we're surrounded by these things. And then, of course, there are many that are self-deluded. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, speaks of these. Those that think they're saved, those that think they're on the way to heaven, on the high road to glory, but they're deluded. They haven't got a clue about what it is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek his forgiveness. Deluded and all that day of judgment is going to come as a tremendous surprise to such people. Well, there are the self-deluded, but there are also anxious inquirers. Those that are looking into these things, those that are serious, deadly serious, in trying to find out what Christianity is all about, why they should trust in the Saviour, why their lives need to be changed. And sometimes these also are amongst us and uh, this will speak to us here uh, this morning. And we know that uh, no such people, these people that I've just li listed, will be able to forgive seven times, let alone 70 times seven. There are those that are in these situations because their lives haven't been changed. They're in these situations of being false professors, hypocrites, charlatans, even just anxious inquirers, though that's a good state to be in. But they have not yet that power within them to be so different, so that they can be different from the world, which will not forgive, which will be uh, harsh towards those that cause them trouble. But we're asking, does grace work? Does Christianity really work? We've seen many professing Christians, Christians go to pieces in difficult circumstances. The Lord has told us about such people in the parable of the sower and such like. But we know there are many who have professed Christianity and then something difficult comes along. All sorts of difficulties, I'll mention a few in a moment, but then they've just gone away from Christianity. They've just gone away from such things. And the Christians say, why didn't Christianity work? Why didn't grace work with such and such a person? Some Christians, after many, many years, following the Lord, going to church, being at the prayer meeting, praying the prayers, reading the Bible, serving the Lord, preaching the gospel even. And then after many years, something happens. Something drastic in their life. Some great difficulty, great, some great sorrow, or some tremendous disappointment. And what do we find? They say they lose their faith. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you can lose something you've never had. But oh, friends, this is what we hear of some friends, even after many years, going away from all semblance of Christianity. And you think, why didn't Christianity work with this person? Does grace really work? And such people have cut themselves off even from true believers. Oh, I can't go to that church. I can't go to that church. These Christians have upset me. They've upset me, so I can't be with them. Why not? Why doesn't grace work in such a heart? Why hasn't Christianity worked with such people? Why not? They get their Christianity from the internet, they say, but it seems that grace doesn't work in their lives. So we ask, does 
Christianity work? Does conversion empower someone to live for the Lord no matter what happens to them? We do have a great cloud of witnesses down the centuries that have proved the power of God to keep and to hold up in a wonderful way, even in the fire. But it seems today that so many just give up at the smallest difficulty and unbelievers say, Christianity doesn't work, those people are no different. This This person said he was a Christian one minute and now look at him, he's no different from the rest of us. So many get into a state and even uh, other believers uh, uh, are offended uh, because of some distress or hurt and there's some disappointment or grief. It's as if the whole world is wrong except that person in whom we've got this question mark. Why doesn't grace work? Why isn't Christianity working with this person? This has happened to them and they've just gone away from all these things that we hold dear but why cannot grace intervene in this situation? And as John says in his letter, let faith overcome the world. A world of difficulty, a world of trial, a world of upset. Why doesn't grace work in such situations very, very often? Do you know some of the greatest Christians have been most vilely abused and yet they still stuck with the Lord, still followed him, still been beautiful in their testimony. So many of the greatest Christians have been slandered in awful ways and been shot down by many around them and yet their testimony is pure. They've held on to their worship. They love the word of God. They know that their trust is in the Saviour. Many Christians have been persecuted in a very severe way and yet still they hold on to their faith. They hold on to their hold of the Saviour They love him with all their hearts, no matter how they've been persecuted, even loving their persecutors. Many of the saints have been impoverished, got nothing, nothing at all. Yet still, they're happy in the Lord that they have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even those that have been burnt at the stake for their faith. They haven't given up these things. They have gone to glory, praising God that they've been able to uh, be strong in such situations. I was remembering (coughs) a lady called Helen Rosevere in the 60s. She was a missionary of the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade in Congo when the Simba Rebellion happened. Well, she and a a number of nuns in the same uh, village that she was found in were, were captured by these rebel men and the very worst thing that could happen to a woman happened to her. But still, her testimony was beautiful and fine. And after a time of rest in this country, she was back, back in the Congo, preaching the gospel to those folk there. Amazing, wonderful. Grace was working. Christianity worked in such a life. And yet, so many, so many folk that don't experience anything like that seem to find the great littlest upset taking them away from the faith. Now, our theology is that grace does work. Our Bibles tell us that there is no doubt that for someone who is born again of the Spirit of God, has the Holy Spirit residing in them and has all spiritual equipment and armour to resist the devil and his wiles and can live to the glory of God no matter what happens. That's our theology. That's our Bible. 
That's the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why then? Why then does it seem so often to be the case for some that if they don't exactly move off from the faith, yet all is difficulty, all is complaining, all is revengeful even towards Christians sometimes. I've seen that. All is so sour, all is so poor spiritually. What happened to grace? Why isn't grace working? Why isn't that fact that this person is supposed to be born again mean that they can cope with those sort of situations? It doesn't seem to have worked. Why is that? This parable gives us one answer. There are a number of answers. I can't complicate what I want to say here this morning with the other answers. I'm just going to home in on this one that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of in this answer. We want to understand why it is that so often professing believers act as if they don't see grace working in their lives. They don't believe that grace works and sometimes it makes us think, why isn't grace working? What happened to Christianity? This person is supposed to be born again. This one claims to be a Christian. Why can't they cope with those situations that other Christians certainly can. Well, let's look. You need your Bible open because we're going to look in detail at this parable. Look here, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Parables. The kingdom of heaven likened. Well, this is a parable. It is a parallel. It is showing us what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's showing us how you get into the kingdom. It's also showing us, especially this parable, how you're kept out of it, how you're not in it. So this is all about the kingdom of heaven. This is a likening. And the Lord Jesus tells his wonderful parables in such a simple way that we cannot help but understand what he's saying. And in this uh, kingdom of heaven parable, we see it's likened unto a king that takes account. He will do it. Now God will take account He will take account of us. He will take account of our lives. He will take account of our sin. He will take account of how we have offended him. He will take account of how we have dealt with the gospel and perhaps spurned it or taken it as superficial. He will take account. He will do it. It's not left to us in the end. God will assess us. We are his servants in the sense that we're all in this world to serve God and to seek him and to worship him, and to do his will, and to keep his word. There's no doubt about that, but there's coming a day when the kingdom of heaven, whether you get into it or not, will all be to do with the account that he takes of us. Look here, verse 24. And when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. A fortune, a fortune. Oh, friends, this man owed so much. Well, this is it. Be sure of it. There is an enormous debt that we have. A lifetime debt. A sin. A sin. Of sin that is a debt. We owe God. We owe his law. We owe his person. We owe everything. The debt is enormous. Friends, we haven't got any inkling of how great this debt is. We haven't begun to understand 
How enormous is the debt against this pure, holy God that has given to us life and being in this world and granted us the gospel to listen to and to believe and trust in. We haven't got any idea of how we have offended that God. We have little inklings of it in the word. He sees us as lepers, vile, putrid, horrible. Well, of course, we don't think that of each other. Of course not. But that's what God thinks of us. We have an enormous debt. Oh, friends, unless this debt is paid, we've had it. We've had it. We should pay for it in all eternity. And that's what we have here. Look here, verse 25. But for as much as he had nothing to pay, he didn't have a penny, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. He couldn't pay. We owe God. We owe the law. We owe his goodness. We owe, owe, owe God. And because we shall pay, we shall be forever in hell. Barred from God. Separated from him who is good. Separated from all that's good and pure and holy and noble and satisfying. Hell. We shall pay. It will be paid. Our debt, not to society, but to God. We shall lose all. This is the revelation of God. You don't need this parable to tell you that. The rest of the Bible makes it absolutely clear. We owe God and that debt shall be paid. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down, worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. What's this? What's this? It looks good. Here is this man, fearful, of course. Of course, he's fearful. He fell down. <coughs> That's good. That's good, he fell down. He worshipped. I'm not quite sure of the, the Greek here and the word worship, but he certainly bowed down before this Lord of his. This is what he did. And he says, uh, have patience with me. Well, that seems good as well, as well. Uh, take consideration of my poor estate, is what this man saying. Well, it's all good. It's all good what we see here, but there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. Do you see it there? And I will pay thee all. I will pay thee all. What a joke. We cannot pay all. We cannot pay a tiny part of it. We will not pay it. It's a lie, what this man says. And what we have often said, it's a crass misunderstanding. I will pay thee all. (laughs) It's stupidity. It's miscalculation. Do you say this? Do you say this to God? I will pay thee all. Oh, friends, wake up to reality. You can't pay it. You can't begin to pay it. It is an impossibility. This is so wrong. You can see there's something wrong here. He does not ask for mercy. He doesn't say, I can't pay you, Lord, but uh, have mercy on me. Forgive me. He doesn't say that. He's not asking for mercy. You see, there's something terribly wrong with this man. He says, I will pay thee all. Look here in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. <clears throat> God's compassion, we understand through the whole of scripture, from Noah's flood 
to the Saviour's death upon the cross. We see the compassion of our God. We see it uh, personalised in the Lord Jesus Christ in that he went about and did good and had such a love for souls. God's compassion, we understand. It is real. It is to be sought. It has often been felt. And we read here, he was loosed and forgiven. Loosed from the debt. The debt was written off. And he was forgiven for the fact that he'd run up that debt. And he was in such a state. And now we have to be very careful with this parable. Because it's only in the sequel that we understand that what we thought might have happened here didn't actually happen. We have to be very careful with this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The Bible is clear. God's loosing of our debt and his forgiveness of our vile sinful lives is so real. And in individual lives, such loosing and such forgiveness is life-changing. God's loosing and forgiveness is grace. It's all undeserved. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what we deserve. This is the grace of God in forgiving sinners and giving them new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is grace. And the Bible is clear. Grace changes us. We are born Again, we become new creatures, new creations. Behold, all things are new. And that's what grace does when God actually looses someone from their debt of sin and forgives them. The recipient is radically changed. That's the Bible truth. But in this parable, we see that the seeming loosing and forgiveness of the servant alters him not one bit. Therefore we must conclude that the servant was not affected in his heart. He was not converted. He was not born again. Many speak of being loosed from their sin and forgiven of God. I've heard it in many, many testimonies over the years, but their lives have not been changed. They have not experienced grace in their hearts. Grace does not work in their lives because they were never converted. We are left in no doubt in this parable that this loosing and this forgiveness was offered but it was not really appreciated nor accepted. What seems to have been the case, the Lord shows us absolutely clearly, clearly was not a conversion experience. So verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, a pittance compared with what he owed. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. This is not the action of a truly loosed man of his debt and forgiven man. He took him by the throat. He was malicious. He was mean. He had not changed one little iota. This man, if he had really been forgiven, if he had really been changed, if he had really been affected in his heart, 
by this compassion of the Lord in forgiving him and loosing of his debt. Do you know what he would have said? He would have said to his fellow, fellow servants something like this. He would have said, you'll never guess. You'll never guess what's happened to me. I owed our Lord 10,000 talents. I didn't have a penny. And our Lord forgave me it all. He forgave me everything. He loosed me from my debt. Wonderful, wonderful compassion of our Lord. I'm now a new man. Our Lord has changed my life. I'm free. I have no debt. I'm safe. I'm happy. I'm in my Lord's favour. He has been gracious to me. Listen, (laughs) that hundred pence you owe me, forget it. Forget it. Tear up the IOU. No. Here it is in writing. Oh, you owe me not one penny. I owe so much more. But it's all been forgiven. And oh, I forgive you 70 times. And if there were 70 other servants that owed him 100 pence, he would have forgiven all of them. That's what grace does. That's what life-changing grace does in a heart. But oh no, (laughs) oh no. Here is a man whose heart and life is not changed one bit. Not one bit affected by the grace offered to him. He is eaten up with revenge and malice and hatred and cursed. Oh, friends, he is not touched one bit by the grace of his Lord. Look here, verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. (laughs) Hey, haven't we heard this before? Same words that he used to his Lord, but they strike no chord in his own heart. They fall on deaf ears. There's no grace working here. There's not a sign or a trace of converting power of grace. Not one instance of forgiveness will he allow. Verse 30. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So he acts precisely as an unforgiven man, as an unbelieving man, as a non-grace man. Has God worked in your life? Are there any signs of grace working? Can you easily forgive those that ask you? Big things, that is. We can easily forgive small things. There's nothing to that. But big things where people offend you. Are you able to forgive them truly from your heart? No questioning. That's how grace works. Can you look at life as forgiven and loved of your heavenly Father? So that whatever happens to you, you know that still his love streams towards you and his care for you is constant and faithful no matter what happens. That's how grace works. That's how grace works. Can you always be thankful for salvation? Always have the cross before you as you come to your devotions, as you come to church, thinking what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul, can you always worship and love him for what he has done? That's how grace works, friends. That's how grace works in a soul that is truly born again. Can you always be thankful for salvation? Oh, 
That's how grace works. Can you be easygoing with others rather than bad-tempered and annoyed? Are you always getting upset with people? Always getting into scrapes? Why is it you can't be easygoing and accept people for what they are? Oh, yeah, there are times when you have to just say, no, you, you shouldn't do that. Of course, but are you easygoing, generally speaking? So that whatever happens to you that comes from other people, you're forgiving and you're loving and you're still kind and you accept that that's what, how unbelievers... That's how grace works. That's how grace works. Can you be loving and caring rather than selfish and greedy? That's how grace works. Can you meet disaster and disappointment and difficulty and sadness with prayer and calm and faith and resignedness? That's how grace works, friends. Dealing with family crises and friction and even breakdown in the family with resolute determination not to let your witness slip or the honour of God be trampled underfoot by some unbeliever saying, ha, he calls himself a Christian. Oh, friends, can you do that? That's how grace works. Can you treat the unfairness of others or what seems to be unfair in your circumstances with the Lord knows? The Lord knows what I'm going through now. The Lord knows my circumstances. That's how grace works, friends. Does grace work in our lives? Are we truly freed of our debt and loosed from our sin? Are we truly forgiven? Oh, friends, our lives should be changed in every aspect if we have been truly converted, truly been born again. We are so often overwhelmed by what God has done for us that no circumstances that comes our way can knock us down, keep us off guard, make us to feel, no, Christianity hasn't worked in my life. Or make others think, Christianity doesn't seem to be working in so-and-so's life, and yet they profess it. Look at the mess they're in. And be sure of this, verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. To claim that we're Christians to claim that we're born again, been forgiven for our sin and loosed to that debt, yet not really experienced grace, it will be noticed. It will be noticed. You cannot hide your character. Hypocrites are well spotted. And even if we cannot see what is done in people's lives, the Lord can. The Lord can. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did that. And the Saviour will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And we are sorry. I'm personally sorry. In many situations I've seen this in over the years. Sorry to see that grace doesn't seem to work. Christianity doesn't seem to work. But I've understood that it wasn't real anyway. And we understand such a thing. It's wretched. These fellow servants, they were sorry. <laughs> it's a wretched thing to see this happening. It's dangerous. It's heartbreaking when grace doesn't seem to work. Verse 32. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. 
Understand the parable, friends. Understand the story for the point it brings to us here when the Lord uh, says these things, we will be called. We will be named. It will be rehearsed, the offer of forgiveness and the loosing of our debt and what we said and our desire for these things. And yet it didn't change our lives. It will be thrown back in our faces and we will not recover it through all eternity. These are the words of the Saviour. Verse 33. Shouldst not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Yes, yes, of course. Anyone can see it. Has the compassion of God left you cold, indifferent, ungraced, unchanged, as wretched as ever? Will you never experience grace in conversion and experience a change of life and of heart? Will you continue unaffected by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ whereby he gave his very life for sinners like us by the great compassion of God? Verse 34, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. I should say so. This is hell. Don't ask me for details of hell, for the temperature of hellfire or the misery of that place. This is enough. Delivered to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. Oh friends, if your life has not been changed radically by God's grace, by Christian conversion, then of course grace won't work then of course Christianity won't work because it won't be real. It won't be there in the heart. There won't be the root of it in your soul that enables you to overcome temptation and difficulty. Oh, friends, this is it. This is how it will work out. Look for no other way. The paying of the debt will be for all eternity except we come to trust in him who paid the debt of his people's sin on the cross by his blessed death there whereby he endured all the wrath of God in taking the penalty of his people there and paying the debt for their sin that is the only way that we come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to repent of all our sin and to yield up our lives completely to him to live to his glory to forgive 70 times 7 or whatever other occasion that it comes to you know There's an old song, we sing it with our children in the Sunday school, that there is power in the blood. It actually comes from a verse in the book of Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. You have to just interpret that, and even the Greek of it, they overcame by virtue of the blood of the Lamb. They overcame, the blood in the scripture is always the death. So they overcame by virtue of the death of the Lamb the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is power. There is power in that death and the empowering that it gives to real Christian people to live to his glory. Grace truly changes real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've seen a case where it wasn't real. It seemed to be the case. But we can see from the outcome of the life that it hadn't affected 
this person and many others in this world today. Oh, friend, come to the Lord with his compassion, with that forgiveness that he offers us, that loosing from the debt, accepting it wholeheartedly, and go out to face the world with true grace in your heart, grace that works, Christianity that works to the glory of God. Amen. Let's sing together hymn number 537. Commit now all thy griefs and ways into his hands. 537. Thank <laughs> you.